0: It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's
1: a, a sports, sports Rush, Rush with, with Brett Rump. Rump. Go to the Three ball, that's
0: Landis. Yes. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Clark, 11 yards, touchdown! Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now, here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most
1: important person of all time. You are incredible! Meant, older than one. Yeah! Well, you're half right. What is this amateur hour? This is gonna be huge. I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. Just when I think you said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it? I have problems. Welcome
2: to the alleged show. I'm Scratch that, baby, I'm playable. Gotta say
1: it's really been a while, but now I got back that smile. Here we go, taking you home. I don't know if it's going home because I don't know how many people are actually working today. It is a President's Day holiday. This is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy, our producer. We've got a big show for you today. Coming up, Dylan Sin will join us. Of course, the Indiana Hoosiers and the Purdue Boilermakers both in action over the weekend. And we've got Don Fisher to break down the state of the Indiana Hoosiers Big week for Indiana, taking on Michigan State on the road tomorrow night. And then the big one at Mackey Arena against Purdue Boilermakers. And if Indiana has got any aspirations of winning a Big Ten regular season championship, they got to take care of business this week at a very tough-to-win Breslin Center. And then at a maybe even tougher-to-win Mackey Arena and, uh, and so we'll talk, Don Fisher, about the week that was and the week that is ahead for the Hoosiers. Our 15 Minutes with Fish comes up at 520, presented as always by Cruzy Automotive Service. Well, it was a big weekend for college basketball, and I think uh, what a way to top off a career for the seniors out at Purdue-Fort Wayne. Jared Godfrey, Damian Chonqui, Bobby Planudis, and uh, Rob Hetty. All were recognized before the game. Those are four guys that, number one, start. Number two, have started for two years. Number three, have 22 years combined college basketball experience with two six-year guys, two five-year guys. And I didn't even add up their points. But you've got over 2,000 for Godfrey. You've got uh, like close to fifteen hundred for Planutus. You've got close to fifteen hundred for Sean Cui. uh Another um, six hundred or so, eight hundred for Rob Hetty. So you've probably got well five thousand for sure. Probably between five thousand and fifty-five hundred career points is what I would guess. But that's a pretty special group that's leaving. Purdue-Fort Wayne this year, and uh, what a way to go out. Yesterday, the Dons were hosting Wright State, a team they beat 88-80 to at the Nutter Center at Wright State about a month ago. And, uh, well, the Dons had control of the game. In fact, they led almost the entire way. Wright State had never had the lead, but Wright State was able to get to a possession with 17 seconds left. And that's a dangerous position to be in because Wright State has Trey Calvin, and he's been a hero multiple times this year for Wright State. When you need a bucket, he has delivered repeatedly. And they isolated, left open an entire half of the floor so that Trey Calvin could have it one-on-one for the final possession, or at least what Wright State believed was going to be the final possession, and uh, and then the... Mastodons kind of answered with some dramatic response. And so we, uh, we were there for it yesterday. And, of course, one of the nice things about being the home of Mastodons basketball on radio is we're also able to capture the audio. But before we hear what happened yesterday, it's, it's interesting. It's almost like you've got to go back and think about what happened a year ago when the Mastodons played Cleveland State in their final home game. On February 14th, Monday night at the Coliseum, Mastodons hosted Cleveland State, who was the first place team in the league. And the Mastodons, well, it, it, it was one of those miraculous types of finishes that night uh, as the Dons, if you remember, it was uh, uh, like a tie game or one point game. And then Coach Kaufman called a timeout that he didn't have with like three and a half, four seconds left. And it resulted in free throws. It seemed to have put the game out of reach. And uh, fortunately, Cleveland State, I think, missed one of the technical free throws, which kept it a one possession game. But it was a three point lead for Cleveland State with like four seconds left. And the Dons had to go the length of the floor. So. You kind of thought, you know, I think that technical might have cost us. But in the huddle that night, Damian Sean patted Coach Kaufman and said, don't worry about it, coach. I got your back. And Damian Sean despite what problems he might have during the course of a game, and he's had some really rough shooting nights. Okay, he struggled this year. And by his own account, he would admit that it's not been a, a typical shooting year for Damian Sean Quay. he struggled. He's been around 20 21% on three-point shots. But there's a reason the term Dame Time exists. Oh, I know. You're going to try to tell me it's for Damian Lillard. Come on. No, it's for Damian Sean Quay. And he's proven it multiple times as a Mastodon, including a year ago. And for those of you that don't remember, here's what happened against Cleveland State at the Coliseum. On Valentine's night last year, it is Godfrey. Godfrey throws it in, Sean Cui, midcourt. Sean Cui with three seconds, three pointer on the way. He got it! He got it! we to overtime! Damien Sean Cui hits the three at the horn and it counts! That was one year ago, February 14th, 2022 at the Memorial Coliseum. Damian Shanqui a three that put it into its first overtime, a game that wasn't settled until three overtimes, and the Dons got the victory. And then the Dons went on to win their next five games and tie Cleveland State at the top of the regular season as champions of the Horizon League. So that was a momentum-propelling victory. The Dons bounced off that shot, that win, and turning what seemed to be a loss into victory. And then they used it as as kind of a push through their final five games, including four straight wins on the road. I mean, that's not easy to do in conference play, to win four straight on the road to claim the regular season championship with Cleveland State. Uh, And they had to get a lot of help. I mean, that game wasn't like the Dons evening up the record against Cleveland State. I think they were still two games behind Cleveland State at that point and had to get help, and they got the help. But uh, let's fast forward to yesterday. Mastodons led the entire game. Wright State got to within one and then got the ball. Last 17 seconds, here's what happened. Backing down on Sean Queen. Turn around baseline jumper. Good with 2.8 seconds. Now the Downs, Sean Queen, to midcourt. The three on the way. Got it! He got it! Damien Sean Queen just
2: hit a 35 for three. And the Downs win the game!
1: There you go. There's the uh, finale kind of faded out. I was gonna enjoy that for a little bit. In fact I timed it so that we would have that nice little run. And uh, Adam cut me off. But uh, it was a big moment and at the Gate Center, it's one thing is it's so loud. And if you notice between a year ago and, and between yesterday that I seemed to go an extra octave on yesterday's call. What happens is the energy comes from the crowd because in your headset, it becomes so loud you can't hear yourself. So you don't know really what your call sounds like because you don't hear it. I mean, it is so loud in the headsets. And that's the thing about being at the Gate Center. At the Coliseum, yes, you're hearing the crowd, but it's not nearly overwhelming your voice. But at the Gate Center, overwhelming. Uh, And so... uh, so anyway, it was uh, quite a shot for Damian Sean Queen. Mastodons ended up winning it after the officials went to the monitor and reviewed it. It was a final of 77 to 75. So the Mastodons now find themselves in a big final week because they right now are in ninth place in the Horizon League. And it doesn't sound good on the surface to be in ninth place. But with two games remaining... There are so many teams within range of the Mastodons. And because of the schedule, if the Mastodons can have a big week in Wisconsin and take care of business at Milwaukee and at Green Bay. Okay, they right now have three teams that sit just one game up. Wright State, Robert Morris, Detroit Mercy are all nine and nine. And then you've got Oakland at ten and eight. But Oakland's got to finish up this week against Northern Kentucky and Wright State. Well, that means Oakland and Wright State will be playing each other and there's a there's a sequence here that like if Wright State beats Oakland but loses to Detroit, but then Northern Kentucky beats both Detroit and Oakland and then Robert Morris loses to Youngstown State, you could have by the end of the week five teams tied at 10-10 and in the Horizon League. Five teams tied for fifth place. And then it goes to tiebreakers, and it's like page eight of the tiebreaker rules to try to figure out how to break a tie between five teams. So we don't even know at this point. If that scenario played out, and it'd have to play out perfectly, but if it did, uh, could the Mastodons be the five seed? Theoretically, they probably could be. Um, I don't know if they're mathematically eliminated from the fifth seed. But the sixth, seventh, and eighth seed will host a Horizon League tournament game. The only one of those positions that would not host a game would be the team out of the five-way tie that does end up being in ninth place. So as of today, the Mastodons would have to go on the road and play the number eight seed. In the first round of the Horizon League tournament. But the Mastodons do have a game against Green Bay, who is two and 2-16 so far in Horizon League play and 3-26 and 26 on the year. And of course, a month ago fired their coach. Uh, so you hope that if the Dons play at their level of capability, that that would be one they should win. And then they've got Milwaukee. And Milwaukee just got beat by 29-20 and in two games this weekend. So you hope that maybe Milwaukee is struggling a bit and down right now. Uh, But, boy, what drama. That was a lot of fun yesterday.
2: Yeah, I definitely enjoyed uh, producing it back here at the studio and uh, hearing your call.
1: And uh, you know what else? The women had a good weekend. Mastodon's women won both games this weekend. Kind of like the Jeffersons, they're moving on up. I wondered if I would get that. I will be honest. I almost provided an audio clip that included move it on up, and I didn't. I know how your mind works, but the women are uh, moving up the standings. They got victories over Wright State, 95-82, to 82, and Northern Kentucky over the weekend, 65-59. to 59. And that Northern Kentucky team was the top four team in the league. So, uh... The Mastodons really making their mark. And remember, this team hasn't really even played some of Maria Marcassano's recruits. Those freshmen have not gotten time yet on the floor. You've got two new recruits coming in next year. uh, And as this talent continues to build, because the recruiting classes that are coming in are are substantially better than some of the past recruiting classes. Now, they still have uh, Shea Sellers. They still have Solaire Starks. In fact, Solaire Starks for Senior Day against Northern Kentucky not only uh, got the opportunity to participate in the victory over Northern Kentucky, but she also sang the national anthem. I don't know if you saw the uh, social media clip of her singing the national anthem. I know John Nolan posted it. Uh, It's kind of like from Mastodon's women's basketball to The Voice. She is that talented. I mean, you should listen to it. It's unbelievable. She did a terrific rendition of the National Anthem. And uh, and so the uh, Mastodon's women, who are also taking the trip to Wisconsin this week. I don't know if you saw the weather, but I guess we're going to have to leave a little bit early on Wednesday. There's a major winter storm heading into Wisconsin on Wednesday. Oh, geez. So travel plans of yeah. moving up so we can get in there to play on Thursday night. But... Uh, but anyway, yeah, so so good weekend.
2: Yeah, pack the snowshoes for that one.
1: 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. 46862, questions, comments, suggestions. Let's get some headlines of what's happening in the world of sports. Here we go with Adam Lundy.
2: After completing a contract buyout with the Utah Jazz, nine-time All-Star guard Russell Westbrook plans to sign with the L.A. Clippers, his agent Jeff Swartz told the media today.
1: Steve Ballmer likes to have the big names. He's kind of collected with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook. Again, this is a question if the Clippers are the Brooklyn Nets of the West. You know, in other words, you just take a bunch of big names. How do they fit? How do they, How's the chemistry? What kind of an offense do you run? And, of course, how will you defend? Uh, you got to be able to defend in the uh, NBA West. But we'll see how that works out. Jim Bob Cooter
2: is expected to be named the offensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. Per sources, he was a pass game coordinator with Jacksonville last year and formerly the Lions offensive coordinator. He's worked with quarterbacks Peyton Manning, Matthew Stafford, and Trevor Lawrence in the past.
1: I'll let you tell the story. I can't say the guy's name without laughing, so you go ahead. Jim Bob Cooter. Yep.
2: Next story here. Milwaukee Bucks star Giannis Antetokounmpo is traveling to New York today to undergo further testing on his injured wrist. Giannis played 20 seconds of the All-Star game last night before exiting with the wrist injury he suffered in a Thursday night win in Chicago. And one more for you. Purdue slid from number three to number five on the AP men's poll after the past week. Indiana fell from 14 to 17, and our Florida Atlantic Owls fell out of the poll after losing to Middle Tennessee.
1: Yeah, sliding. There you go. There's your headlines with Adam Lundy. You know, there's a problem in the NBA, and the problem's very similar to what we've got in NASCAR. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is Purdue Fort Wayne men's basketball coach John Clark. And you're listening to The Sports Rush with Brett Rum on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.
2: Go Dons.
1: All right, go ahead. Let's go to the text line. 46862. Adam, we've got a text that came in about the Mastodons. Go ahead and give it to me because I do want to respond to this.
2: You can talk up Purdue-Fort Wayne all you want. They are in an overrated program that plays in a weak league and they will never make the big dance. Maybe if they played Manchester every game, they could.
1: That's probably somebody, number one, that's never been to a game because usually it's the fools who never even go to a game that have this type of an opinion. Uh, first of all, What leagues would you expect to be better than the Horizon League? Would you expect the MAC to be better? A lot of people's perception is that the MAC is a higher level league than the Horizon League. And oh, yeah, that's right. The Mastodons have a winning record against the MAC since Coach Kaufman took over. What's the Mastodons record against MAC opponents so far this year? Oh, that's right. They're 1 and 0 and undefeated against Mid-American conference opponents. Um what uh, what is the Mastodons record when they do take on teams like IU? I wonder if this guy's an Indiana fan. What what what's the record for the Mastodons against the Indiana Hoosiers? Oh that's right, 2 and 1 including a win by 20 points at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. Uh what's the record against Purdue? Well, they don't have a win, but you know what? Purdue won't play them either. So, you know, ultimately Uh, You know, this is a person that probably has never seen them play, probably has never had a chance to really see what Horizon League basketball looks like. Uh, And and if you go through and look at all the transfers that have come from programs like Alabama, Iowa State, Kansas, Wisconsin, I mean, a lot of transfers playing in the Horizon League this year because of the transfer portal, and it is a good league. I'm I'm sorry. Greg Campy's been coaching in it for 39 years. Um, and there's a reason he stays in the Horizon League. It's good competitive league, quality programs. And, yes, there are teams that go 15, 20, 25 years into their existence before they finally cross that threshold and they get into the NCAA tournament. That is not unusual. And, uh, and so in fact, it always surprised me when I see teams that make it and they say, you know, the last time they made it was like, 1997 or the last time they made it was 2002 and all i'm thinking is okay this is a team that we know the name of they haven't made it for like 20 some years but the mastodons even haven't haven't even been playing division one basketball for that as long as some of those teams have gone as far as a dry spell so it happens but uh i would suggest getting to a game but this year it's too late and if you don't want to go Uh, Because you don't want to spend the money because you think you're not going to be entertained and you think it's going to be a lower level of basketball. Um, I'm sure Coach Kaufman will set you up with some tickets. He's done that before when when people doubt the quality of play in the Horizon League. And every time he's done it, the person that we've talked to has come back and said, I was wrong. I had no idea it was this level of play. It's a level of play that's good enough to beat teams like Indiana. Now, maybe it wasn't it wasn't a great Indiana team the year after they were ranked number three in the country when the Mastodons beat them. And that's the other thing is, remember, the Mastodons beat Indiana when they were ranked number three in the country. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. I don't know who had a worse Sunday night, the NBA or NASCAR. Because for a casual fan... And maybe they've been watching football every week. And maybe they were among the three billion or whatever that watched the Super Bowl the week before. All of a sudden having a Sunday where they're having to, to kind of channel surf and figure out what they're going to watch. And they ended up coming up on either the Daytona 500 or maybe the NBA All-Star Game and thought, oh, let's check this out. What an embarrassment to both leagues. Both organizations. NASCAR, what did it take? Three or four times that they tried to finish that race. And every time they went green, they went yellow. And eventually the race ended under yellow. And they had to go back to video to figure out who was leading at the time the last yellow finally appeared. It took like 45 minutes or more to run the last two or three laps of that race. It was just an embarrassment. If you tried to check out, you know, the drama behind the Daytona 500, you were bored, you were turning away. It was just awful. And I don't know what NASCAR does to fix it, but I can tell you this. There wasn't a casual fan that is now a NASCAR fan because of what they saw last night. And then you had the NBA All-Star game. I would have rather gone to the Y and sat and watched a bunch of recreational guys play. Adam, I would have watched you miss threes before I watched what happened last night. Man. That was embarrassing. That's not even basketball. And they're bringing that show to Indianapolis. Congratulations. Everybody's so proud and happy that they're hosting the All-Star game. That's what you're getting, what we saw last night. Let's not even call it the All-Star Weekend. Let's call it uh, Entertainment Weekend. And, oh, by the way, part of it will be some guys playing uh, a game of horse, basically. Let's (laughs) see how far you can shoot it. Yeah. I mean, guys are shooting half-court jumpers, trying to, I mean, just... It's so... Throwing it off the backboard to themselves because nobody's going to guard it or contest it. They'll just let you go ahead... So there actually was a little bit of a slam dunk contest as part of the All-Star game, and yet these guys won't participate in the actual slam dunk contest. Yeah, I can't figure that one out. Neither one was worth a blank. It was awful. I mean, I don't know how anybody sat through it other than me because I just wanted to get a further opinion. I'd already made up my mind. I was just gathering more evidence watching that All-Star game. Because I, I I thought this is a joke. I mean, this is not the way the best players in the league should participate in an All-Star game. What we what I remember growing up with the All-Star game was it was great to see Dr. J go against uh, you know Larry Bird or whatever the matchups might be because you'd see them going one on one and it was a battle because these were competitive people who didn't want the other guy to show them up. Now it's like, eh, we're not going to play any defense. And let's score a couple hundred points. Let's shoot any three you want. Let you have any kind of alley-oop or slam dunk. There was zero defense played in that game. It was worse than the Pro Bowl. And the Pro Bowl has since gone away because the NFL wised up and decided, I I don't think this is good for the league and the the PR of the league anymore. And the NBA is going to have to make their mind up. What do you do with this? Because that's an absolutely embarrassing night to throw on TV. And, and let's be honest, too. It was almost more of a concert last night. I mean, you had, uh, apparently, whoever sang the Canadian anthem must have thought that we were in Canada because the drama and the, the way she laid out that Canadian national anthem, it was like she was trying to make a record that was going to go viral. And then, halftime, I have no idea. Like I tweeted last night, I said, I never thought I'd say this, but bring back Rihanna. Because that was, I don't even know what that was at halftime.
2: Oh, I didn't even see the halftime show, to be honest with you. I, I did, and I wish
1: I was with you. <laughs> it, I don't even know what it was. But they, to- but they bill it for this big concert. And, man, thank, first of all, thank goodness it is Indianapolis that's going to have it next year. Because people in Indiana can have some say as to how this thing is put on. Because what the NBA is doing right now is completely killing Future All-Star Games. They have completely destroyed the future of the All-Star Game, much like the NFL eventually killed the future of the Pro Bowl.
2: You know the one time one person played defense last night, it ended up in the other person getting really upset about it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, no, Le- uh, Shea went up for a dunk. Shea Gilgis-Alexander and LeBron James blocked it. Oh. And then in the postgame, Shea said, oh, no one wants to play defense all game, but I go up for a dunk and LeBron uh. wants to block me? Oh, yeah. I
1: got something for you, LeBron. Yeah, yeah. So. Don't be messing with me and picking on me. How
2: dare you play defense yeah. in the All
1: Star game? Well, there was a little defense going on too on the one-on-one battle between Jalen Brown and and uh, and what's his name uh, Tatum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. but uh, overall, it was uh, it it wasn't much of a game. No, it, it was embarrassing. Yeah. I thought. Although your man did hit a three. He was 50% from the field with 11 points, two rebounds, and two assists. I think that's about what Halliburton had. There you go. Halliburton was sitting right around 10 or 11 points. Uh, but it was uh, um, ugly. Yeah, not not a fun thing to watch. 46862, Parkview Sports, Madison text line, 46862. We got a lot of high school basketball we're going to have to talk about, girls basketball semi-state. Snyder will be thinking the what-ifs for a very long time. Could you believe game two of that semi-state? Now, we had game one with Snyder and Fishers. Snyder had a halftime lead. Fishers came out in the third quarter and really put it to Snyder in the third quarter. Snyder battled back, ended up making it a one-point final. Of course, they hit a three-pointer at the buzzer to make it a one-point final, but... 67-66, Snyder loses to Fishers. Fishers advances to the semi-state championship at night. Remember, this is like the old regional format. In game two, Lake Central knocked off the team that we felt had no chance of not winning a state title. South Bend, Washington. And Lake Central knocked out South Bend, Washington in the second game. Of the morning session of the semi-state, which essentially means South Bend, Washington would not have won a regional title. And I started to think about how this change is going to affect success factor points. Because... South Bend Washington now gets points for winning a regional that they wouldn't have won under the old format. Same as Snyder. Snyder gets points for winning a regional title. Now Snyder, now Snyder and uh, and South Bend Washington can't get bumped up a class because there's not a Class 5A. But I am wondering, is there some kind of an alteration being made to the success factor point system because of the changes that they're having with uh, with the system? But um, but anyway, Snyder could have had a very good chance to move into the state championship game if they just could have found a way to hold on against Fishers because Fishers ended up pounding Lake Central on Saturday night 41 to 24. Snyder scored 66 against Fishers. Lake Central scored 24 against Fishers. Uh tough one. And, of course, we had the boys draw. We'll talk about that. We've got to get to Dylan Sin. He's going to join us to talk some Indiana and Purdue basketball. That comes up next. You're listening to a Monday edition of the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. It's not Caleb and Kenny this week, by the way. I don't know if you uh, happen to tune in this morning, but it is guest host, mystery guest host, MGH and Kenny. Mystery guest host and Kenny all week long. This morning, our mystery guest host filling in for Caleb was Justin Prince from WFFT. Uh, but they uh, every morning, 7 to 9, be sure you tune in here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Got to talk some Boilermakers and Hoosiers. We're getting into the stretch run and Indiana. Indiana. Has their sights set on the Boilermakers, and they've got a big head-to-head matchup coming up this weekend. But let's talk first about what happened over this weekend, and we are joined on the guest line by Dylan Sin from the Journal-Gazette. And, uh, well, let's start with Indiana. They had the Saturday game against Illinois. Um What do you take away from this? Did Illinois play well? Because Illinois is a team that's had some struggles. They're playing without their top scorer. Uh, And Illinois gave IU a battle Saturday. What were the keys? Yeah, I
0: mean, the biggest key was was Matthew Meyer playing extremely well. He had had zero points the first time those teams played back in Champaign because he was sick. He came out and seemed like he had something to prove in that game. I think he ended up with 24-16 in the first half. Uh, and he was great for most of the game. IU put uh, three or four different guys on him at different points in that game and it took until the very end for uh, Miller kopp to really kind of take that role and, and be able to slow him down toward the end of the game. But no it was just another it was another instance of Indiana winning a game that probably would have lost last year. Uh, but at a certain point you want to, you want to uh, have some, some uh, comfort down the stretch of these games, having to come back, Every single game is is not ideal, but obviously you're getting the win, and in the Big Ten that's that's what matters. They're, they're these are the wins that puts you into the Big Ten into the NCAA tournament with comfort and not leave you on the bubble.
1: I thought Miller Cop was excellent against Illinois. He ended up being a team high plus nine, but he also had twelve points. He was four for five from three, four for six overall, uh added three rebounds. I, I thought Miller Cop played if not the best game of the year for miller copy He was right up there.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and that's something that in the first half, he came into the locker room at halftime. Mike Woodson kind of gave him an earful because he had let buyer get by him one too many times, and so uh, he had made those two threes in the first half, including one of them from about 30 feet, um, but they wanted more from him defensively, and then he went out there in the second half, gave them more defensively, and made two more three-pointers, and they want him to, to, to shoot more. That was kind of one of the uh, mm-hmm. interesting um, segments of the post-game press conference, was Trace Jackson Davis saying, basically, every time he gets the ball, I want him to put it up, and Miller cops saying, Well, I'm just trying to do what's best for the team. And, and Trace basically saying,
1: What's best for the team is you shooting the ball. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you look at the percentages, Trace Jackson Davis wins that argument. Uh, and Trace Jackson Davis has been winning most arguments, uh, whether it's in the low post or whether it's at the press conference, because another 26 point day for Trace Jackson Davis, 12 of 19 from the field. Uh Illinois bottled him up for a while, but then things kind of changed. What did you see that was different about Trace Jackson Davis when he finally started taking over that game?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was the same kind of thing we saw against Northwestern where Jackson Davis kind of had a feeling out period where uh, Illinois played a completely different defense on him than they did the first time he faced Illinois back in January when he had 35 points. Um, and so they kind of they sent double teams at him. They kind of tried to change up their coverages. Sometimes double with a guard. Sometimes with a second big. Sometimes they let him go one on one. It was just a matter of him kind of figuring out. Okay, here's what they're doing. Here's how I have to adjust. That's kind of the way it's gone for him this year. Has been there's going to be he's not going to start particularly fast in a lot of these games, probably because he's trying to figure out what the opposing defense is doing, and it's always different. And then uh, as the game wears on, and this was even the case against Northwestern when they lost. Um, he figures out what he's supposed to be doing. He figures out how to how best to attack that. And he basically has the answer for everything a defense throws at him once he figures out what he wants to do.
1: Dylan Sin joining us on our guest line. You know, Tamar Bates has to be thinking about Xavier Johnson sitting there on the bench getting close to a return. Because if I'm Tamar Bates, I'm really concerned that those 16 minutes I'm getting right now are going to go poof and go away. And he's doing nothing to show that he deserves them. I, I just don't know what is... I mean, this guy was so highly um, thought of coming into Indiana, and we know he's had some personal things that he's dealt with, but minus nine, one for six from the field, over oh for two from three, uh, just seems to be out of sorts, takes bad shots on key possessions. I, I don't get it. It just seems like he's completely disconnected of what Indiana's trying to do.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because during the offseason, what we heard a lot from Mike Woodson was Tamar Bates is playing basically as well as any guard we have, uh, in camp, right? Like that was the word coming out of IU this, this offseason was that he was going to be significantly improved from the player he was last year. And there were signs that that was true at the beginning of the season. He had that, those big games, 20 points, uh, and 19 points against a couple of the, uh, mid-majors that IU played. Uh, earlier in the year, and he seemed like he was going to be a guy that you could count on off the bench to give you some instant offense, a guy who could get to the rim off the dribble, hit the occasional three-pointer. And he's done that for some chunks of the year. Just recently, he just doesn't seem like he's, he's fully tuned in with, with uh, what India needs him to be doing. They need him to be playing a role, and he's not really fitting into that role particularly well. Um, and and it, it's, it's hard for a scorer like him. He's a guy who his entire career has been... I'm the guy who's going to go out and get you a basket. It's hard to be that guy and get into a rhythm when you're coming off the bench. So I think that's something that if he were starting, he might be it might be a better scenario. But it's tough for him coming off the bench. Kind of like Brandon Newman at Purdue is what I is what I compare it to.
1: Dylan, let me just uh, make an observation and get your uh, reply to it because what I see with Tamar Bates is he's not a patient player that uh, the ball rotates maybe one time around, and he's wanting to attack. And sometimes he attacks right into traffic where he really doesn't have a real good uh, place or plan to do anything with the basketball. Uh, sometimes coaches will say, you got to let the game come to you and, and be more patient. Keep the floor spaced. Look for the big man, Trace Jackson Davis. Tamar Bates is, and this happens a lot with guys that are trying to earn more minutes, is they try to set themselves apart. Instead of being patient, they try to make plays and make things happen. And I think that is putting Tamar Bates into really bad decisions and uncomfortable places on the floor.
0: I mean, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I I think that that, that, that's a very fair uh, kind of read of what the situation is. I think he is trying to earn more minutes. Um, and there have been games again this year where it looks like it's looked like he's deserved them. I mean, he, he got into the starting lineup above Trey Galloway for a couple of games earlier this year before they switched back, just because Galloway is a, is a more consistent player, he's a better defensive player right now than Bates is. You would like to see him be more of a, a drive-and-kick kind of guy, someone who beats his man off the dribble, draws the defense into the lane, and then kicks to open shooters, kind of like what IU has with a Galloway or with an Xavier Johnson when he's healthy. Um, and he just hasn't been that guy this year I, I can't I, there, there, there are not many times where you see him get into the lane and then set up a shooter for an open three I think that's the missing piece of his game right now
1: yeah I don't think he's a I don't think he's a great passer I mean I think he's a guy that's done most of the scoring through his career but now to be that guy that you just just described that's out of character and I don't know if he's learned that role well enough at this point all right so Indiana goes to Michigan State I expect. The Spartans learned from the first meeting, and Trace Jackson-Davis is not going to have one-on-one coverage this time around.
0: I, I would expect the same, because we saw the same thing when Michigan State played Purdue for the second time. They, they gave Zach Eadie everything he wanted the first time, and Purdue won that game. And then the second time they kind of gave in and were like, all right, we don't like double teaming the post, but we'll double team because Zach Eady is just that good. And I think what we found is that Trace Jackson Davis is one of the very few other players in the country besides Zach Eady who demands that kind of attention. You can't leave him one on one, even if that's what your defense usually does, because he'll just eat you alive. And so we saw that with Illinois, uh, where they, they, uh, single covered him the first time and then threw a bunch of double teams at him on, on uh, on Saturday. And so I think we're going to see the same thing with Michigan State where, they have the kind of uh, length in their in their lineup to run the same defense that Northwestern did, which is basically double him with two bigs and make it hard for him to survey the court and get a pass-off.
1: Dylan, you've been to a lot of these visiting arenas. You've been to Illinois, you've been to Michigan, you've been to Ohio State, you've been to Mackey, uh, Simon Scott Assembly Hall, but the Breslin Center. Everybody you talked to said that that could be the most intimidating, difficult environment for a visiting team. What is your take and your perception? Which which venue, if you were a visiting team, would you least like to play in?
0: I mean, for me, and I think this has kind of developed at least over the last five years, I think at one point it might have been Breslin. I think right now it's pretty much without question, Mackey. Uh, that, That place is just, they pack it every single game. Um, it, it's, it's loud in there because the way the, the, the dome is built, it traps the sound and just makes it deafening every single game in there. Um, and I, I think as, as much as we hear about the Breslin Center, as much as Assembly Hall can be kind of cacophonous when, when the place is filled, Mackie, the, the, the floor is just higher there. Every single game, it seems like the opponent is just coming into it, too. To use Matt Painter's term, a beehive.
1: What uh, what did you take away from Zach Eady being more the Zach Eady that we know and Purdue fans love on uh, Sunday?
0: I, I mean, that's just that's who he's been all season, right? Even when they were struggling the last couple of games, it wasn't because the uh, Zach Eady had turned into a different player. or Someone had found the special sauce to stop him. It was more that they the putting the pressure on the guards on the perimeter. Uh, forced turnovers and so stop possessions from getting the ball in his hands, and that made it difficult to make entry pass. And I think that was the biggest thing, was that Purdue was struggling to get the ball into him where he likes having it. And so he was not getting the ball in great position, even though he was making himself available, as he always does. And so, yeah, there was some of it where that double teaming with two with two defenders, as Northwestern did, uh, can help. But Zach Eady is going to get his if, if you get the ball in his hands, and we saw that against Ohio State.
1: Biggest key, I think, against Purdue is you've got to contain second-chance points. And Purdue got 17 of them against Ohio State. It's going to be tough to stay in a game with Purdue when they're getting 17 second-chance points.
0: No, and we saw that against Maryland last week where Purdue only had three offensive rebounds the entire night. And, I mean, that's something that Purdue has really hung its hat on the entire season. They're the number one rebounding team in the country, and then Maryland went out and out-rebounded them by 12. And that's why Matt Painter didn't seem overly concerned about that loss to Maryland because it was so totally out of character for his team. He kind of chalked it up and like, okay, well, we, we set out not to turn the ball over. We only gave it away seven times, and they beat us. It's essentially, it's two things we've been fantastic at the entire year. So basically he said, all right, redouble your effort on the glass and just start to keep playing through fouls. and You'll be much better against Ohio State. And after probably about 10 minutes against Ohio State, where it didn't go particularly well, they figured it out. And so they looked more like the team that has been very, very good the whole season now you need to do it against better competition because Ohio State, somewhat quietly, has really, really struggled this
1: year. The schedule-making gods gave Purdue a big favor this week because I've been saying that I thought Purdue was making some mistakes over the last few games. As far as the shooting percentage from three and maybe the rebounding, uh, I just felt like, okay, you've got two freshman guards. It's not uncommon for freshmen to hit a little bit of a wall that 25th, 26th, 27th game. A lot of basketball that's played over the course of a college basketball season plus you throw in travel you're getting back late at night you might not be getting your regular sleep patterns in um and so i i thought there were signs that maybe purdue needed to refresh the legs and here we go with indiana coming in this saturday and purdue's got essentially a week off that seems to be a huge blessing for the boilermakers right now
0: yeah absolutely and 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 they have as you said the entire week off Five, five full days of rest. I think that's going to be a significant issue for Indiana because um, that was kind of the issue last time. Was that Indiana was the aggressor. They had more energy the entire game uh, when they played in Bloomington. I don't know if that's going to be the case in this one because Indiana has to go with that tough road trip to East Lansing tomorrow night. And you, you do have a couple days off before the game against Purdue, but it's never easy to go into Mackey. Purdue is going to be absolutely fired up. They can all but clinch a, a Big Ten title if they win that game. And so it's going to be it's going to be loud, it's going to be raucous in there, and Indiana is going to have a tough time matching that energy. I think.
1: Speaking of your travels, you're going to be at Breslin tomorrow night.
0: I will be at Breslin tomorrow night. Indiana trying for its 20th victory.
1: There you go, and uh, be sure to check it out online or in print at the Journal Gazette. always appreciates you. Thanks so much.
0: Absolutely, Brett. Always glad to do
1: it. Thanks for having me on. That is Dylan Sin joining us on the guest line. We've got to take a time out. get to our second hour. Coming up, we've got the great Don Fisher joining us about 30 minutes down the road, somewhere around 520. We'll talk to Fish. It's our 15 minutes with Fish presented by Cruzy Automotive Service. This is a Monday edition of the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.